Welcome to the Act React podcast, where we explore improvisation through conversations with remarkable artists. This is the second episode of the first season, so thank you for joining me. If you missed the first episode, please check it out. It was a wonderful conversation with musician and author Stephen Nachmanovich. Uh, I am Daniel Burkholder, a dancer currently based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I am on faculty at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. I've been exploring dance improvisation for over 25 years and have always been interested in how other artists employ it in their creative work, how they define it, and even how it impacts their day-to-day lives. Uh, In today's episode, I talk with Sharon Mansour. Sharon and I have been creating and performing together for over 20 years, so there's a level of familiarity that I think is evident in our conversation. We have performed countless times together as a duet, directed a dance company together in the 1990s, traveled and performed in many places, including Ecuador, and continue to have an ongoing artistic collaborative relationship. But in this conversation, I keep trying to bring the conversation back to Sharon's own work, Uh, because I find it deeply engaging, moving, and insightful. Uh, If if you don't know Sharon, here's a bit about her. Sharon Mansour is a Winona, Minnesota-based contemporary dance and visual artist, movement architect, experimentalist, educator, curator, mover, and shaker. Originally from Boston, Massachusetts, Sharon's creative practice and research integrates improvisational techniques, somatic body-mind practices, and interdisciplinary collaborative approaches. She has a keen interest in sight-responsive art, weaving the visual and visual body and shape, internal and external landscapes. She is also committed to dance as a transformational and healing catalyst for individuals and communities. So please uh, uh, check out the description of this podcast for information on how to find out more about Sharon, myself, and of course the podcast. Without further delay, here's my conversation with Sharon. Enjoy. Hi, Sharon. Thanks so much for um, agreeing to talk to me today. Of course. Always great to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, we have clearly, obviously, a, a long history of, of working together. And I kind of wanted to start by going back a bit. And um, I was thinking about when we were directing Quiescence and how we started experimenting with improvisation. Mm-hmm. And started to first incorporate it into both of our work. I, I don't remember if you know how those overlapped exactly, but it definitely became part of our practice um, individually and together. And I'm wondering if you can kind of like I don't know, think back and and speak to why maybe you personally started becoming more interested in in investigating improvisation or incorporating it into your work. I think way back here. I know. Uh, right. So, well, Quiescence, so that was our dance performance group we had together in the 90s. And I, well, I do remember the piece where I started to incorporate improvisation into the performance. I mean, we were using improvisation in our rehearsals. Right. For sure. And that's something that was in our training, uh, in our undergraduate dance training. And probably just in life. Right. And I remember in Waterborne, the group piece that I was working on, I I really wanted small sections where the dancers, where we all had choices of 
creating some variety in certain moments. Mm. And I didn't necessarily want to tightly choreograph each individual dancer and give them different choreography. So that's where the performative improvisation started to feed in with me, just short sections where I just wanted just these moments of variety, these lovely threads sort of spidering out in different mm-hmm. directions and allowing the dancers to make those choices. And then we would come back together for a more set sort of choreographed moment. Um, so I remember that very specifically. Yeah. Yeah. That was mid mid nineties yeah. when I was working on that. I think, I think even that just that brings up an interesting point about, and I think for a lot of us that use improvisation, partly we use it because we want to incorporate the unique voices of who we're working with, mm-hmm. right? Not just for them to copy what we're doing, um, but to bring their individual voices into the performance practice. Yes. Yes. And I feel that piece because there was a strong feminine identity thread to it. And yeah, I really appreciated the group of women I was working with and mm-hmm. yeah, and the range of people that I, and I really trusted them. They were really bringing, you know, a lot of themselves to the work anyway, that, right. yeah, that was a sort of giving them that space to express themselves and to have that be different each performance. I was very curious to allow mm. whatever, just for them to emerge each time and, and let them, let them be within that container of the work. Uh, and that was really very rich. I feel like that added a lot to that piece. And yeah. then once that started, of course, <laughs> it was, it was uh, yeah, I really I kind of caught the bug for wanting to explore more. It felt risky and vulnerable and exciting. And mm-hmm. and then, I mean, we was, was shortly after that when we, you and I, performed a duet in Kathy Payne's. New Dance Improv Festival, yes. where we really, was it a Michelle shocked? Wow, you have a good memory. Yes, I think it was. Piece of music. I remember being really charged and really nervous about that. Yeah. Duet. That's right. Yeah, no, I remember that. Very, was that at, that might have been out at Glen Echo, if I'm yes. remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and we performed, that was the first time we really performed a, basically a structured improv Yes. And and it was at an improv festival with all these people who like spent their lives improvising. Oh yes. Yeah. I remember like Kirsty <laughs> Simpson was in the audience and I mean Kathy Payne, who had been yeah. improvising for decades, and Beth Davis and right. Stephen Yoshin. Yes. Possibly. Yes, yes, definitely. Sure. I mean, why start with why something starts? low key? Why right. not just go for it? Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's right. I remember that. I remember that now that you mentioned that. And yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think the, for me also, one of the things as we were starting to experiment with it was that kind of risk, um, that feeling of uncertainty and, and possibility of, I guess maybe at the time it felt like failure, though I, I don't really think of that anymore because I think Mm -hmm. I've reframed just that whole idea. Um, but definitely that being on the edge. And, you know, mm-hmm. the other thing that I, I remember feeling, and I remember this really clearly, is when we started doing more improvisation, like for me personally, I felt like I was able to access kind of my own movement signature, my own movement uniqueness um, 
a lot more directly than when I was trying to set choreographed material. Hmm. Um, so that mm-hmm. I, 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 I remember that and just thinking about like, oh, I want to cultivate that in others as well. Mm-hmm. And again, you, you kind of already started getting, getting to that idea of, um, of your interest with waterborne. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, well, so, yes. Yeah, sometimes when I choreograph, which is interesting because right now I'm doing a project dreaming under a cedar tree and you know, each project has its own personality and I try to f- listen to that. What mm-hmm. sort of forms or structures might support it. And curiously, for some reason, this project is wanting more choreography. Mm. And, um, so yeah, I'm choreographing for the first time in several years. Mm -hmm. And, but the, what you were saying in terms of the uniqueness, you know, the voice sometimes coming out more easily in improvisation. I agree that sometimes there's something about the act of trying to replicate, repeat, and record movement sometimes something you know gets lost a little bit in the translation or the act of trying to remember which is an interesting process right you know the sense of trying to go back and repeat and remember um and what might slip away what little details might mm. not translate that then right adds up to maybe a little more uniqueness about that person or just the fact that something can happen in a moment and then when you try to repeat it later, it doesn't feel quite the right or the same. So that sure. evolves over time. That might slightly start to shift or morph because like, oh, well, that moment it was that gesture. But as I do it over and over, it naturally might morph and and change. Um, that might not be less of who you are, but it might be. It might end up being either more habitual or start to look like something right. more within the, the, you know, whatever style just unconsciously. So it's interesting what, what might carry forward in more moments than just the moment of impulse mm-hmm. and what might naturally just change or, or soften or something. Yeah. I mean, and also just thinking about um, when you, when you use improvisation as a choreography tool, and thinking, especially, especially thinking about like when we've done that and we're like, we're partnering, we're doing some kind of contact improvisation or something like that, improvising and you do something and then you go back and try to figure out what it was mm-hmm. and it's just not there anymore. Right. And so, sometimes even if you have it recorded on video, you can't quite figure out the right momentum or attack of it. Um, mm-hmm. and you just have to kind of let it go. Right. So right. That, that's that's mm-hmm. interesting. So this was also this actually it's it's that's a good segue to another question I had or a thought I had of that line, um, or maybe it's not a line. It's probably not a line um, <laughs> between uh, something that's that's more improvisational and something that's more choreographed. Um, you know, I certainly think of it more as a continuum mm-hmm. than a duality. Um, but now, you know, you said with this new project that things are more choreographed. Um, Mm -hmm. what, what is for for you, what does that even mean? Mm. Well, right now it's meaning that I have more repeatable sequences, patterns of movement. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe that I'm 
it's always interesting when you're in the middle of doing something, what are, how aware you are of what you're actually doing. Mm -hmm. But what I believe I'm doing is that I'm, I am trying to re-enter certain yeah, movement patterns that um, I'm trying to like wear little pathways. I would call them little desire paths. You know, desire path and um, I talk about this in architecture, like urban architecture. So when they, you make, say you make, you make a sidewalk, it's like, oh, I, wa I think these people need to cross the street here or they need to walk to the metro with this curved pathway. But actually what people want to do is cut across diagonally across the grass because that's easier, quicker. And you see you know, people start wearing this dirt pathway, even though there's a sidewalk right. nearby. So they call that spontaneous worn pathway that people just decide to do a desire path. Hmm. And I really, I've always loved that phrase. So that's I'm it. borrowing it <laughs> in terms of my choreography. So I feel like I'm creating yeah, these desire paths of movement patterns that I want to keep re-entering. Mm. I'm wanting to keep re-entering. And different than a, I mean, I mean, I guess you could think of choreography as a very tightly structured improvisation. But I'm, I am really keen, and I, I do get into this sometimes. I sort of alternate. Sometimes I love improvisations where, like we've done a lot, where you're just like, ready and go. Right. And 10 minutes later, and stop. And then anything in between, you're like, great, fun. <laughs> right. But I also love at certain times to swing, yeah, to the other end where it's like, wow, well, how, how specifically, and because it's just me, this is a solo project, I can really hone in. How much detail can I re-enter into mm -hmm. each time? I mean, bringing myself as I am each moment which will be a little bit different but how specifically can I drop back in to you know that gesture that weight shift that that look but still have a freshness right it's still a new moment but I'm like wow I really want to re-enter walk down that path again and see how I am you know much like you go to work every day and you're walking down that path um, you're different it's you know it's both spontaneous and fresh, but also familiar right? somehow. And you can kind of rest in that. So I think that's, there's something about this project, looking at my Lebanese heritage that, and some of the music I'm using, I, I believe is also influencing wanting to drop back in hmm. repeatedly. And some of maybe the installation objects, um, there's some constants that then I'm also trying to locate myself in certain familiar frameworks a little more tightly, I think tightly in a good way, like to kind of rest, rest in some of those movement patterns. Yeah. Yeah. I really like this idea, both of the desire path, um, that that's, I just love that, that turn of phrase. Um, but also this idea of re-entering. Mm -hmm. I think when we think of choreography, I would say most people think of it as repeating, Mm -hmm. You know, and this idea that you learn a phrase of movement or a section and then you repeat it and you just keep trying to, I don't know, do it better. Mm -hmm. um, but this idea of re-entering 
the even if it's like as you said like more set phrases of movement or or constructs of movement um that there is a sense of not only re-entering but rediscovering it mm-hmm. with each kind of um trial almost mm-hmm. um and to that that to me actually sounds very much like an improvisational mindset Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're, it's because I always think of improvisation, partly what we're doing is research, right? Like here are these, here are these certain constraints and you're entering into it each time to discover what's within that, that set of constraints. Yes. And, um, this idea of re-entering seems very much, uh, within that kind of spirit. Mm-hmm. So. Yes. Well, and I think even I mean, thinking about the power of words is interesting too. What how we name certain practices. Mm-hmm. I noticed I when I was working with Nick Bryson on a project a few years ago. Insert here. So Nick's a contemporary movement artist from Ireland, and he does both choreography and improvisation and somatic practices and we were working together and we were discovering we needed to you know create some frameworks that were yeah maybe more structured and we got inspired again the project was sort of leading us down that road to create some choreography but we wanted to keep it open enough so we decided to call the movement sequences patterns versus phrase mm. And I don't know, there's just something about, nothing wrong with the word phrase, but maybe it conjures a certain approach of working with material. So we just wanted to give it a a name that maybe, you know, like you're looking at fabric and you're, there's some fabric that's really tightly knit together, so you can't see any space, but then you have certain fabrics that have a little more space, you can kind of see through it a little bit. So the idea of a pattern I don't know, sounded a little more open-ended, right? It was still repeatable. Like, we each developed our own patterns. So mm-hmm. I had there's a Sharon pattern and a Nick pattern, but then we each learned, and then we morphed and wove through the piece. But the sense of it being called a pattern, that was somehow freeing for us, how we thought about re-entering or dropping back into movement that was very much repeatable. We kept it in the same sequence, the same order, um, Oh, so that just strikes me too. So yeah, like as you said, like the difference yeah. of re-entering versus repeating could basically look like the same thing, you know, on the outside, right. possibly. But the intent or the the yeah artist choice agency in it might might be slightly different. Oh yeah, definitely. Given maybe some permission or something that maybe one would maybe not think was allowed or something. Yeah. So anyway, so it's interesting just to slightly rename you know certain processes and see if that makes a difference i enjoy that kind of wordplay yeah well i think it it definitely to me thinking about it 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 seems like it would give the performer whoever it is um more agency Mm -hmm. in the process because if you're like, okay, let's repeat that phrase, what I'm saying is I want you to repeat it as close to what I told you it was. Mm-hmm. Like your your arm needs to be at 
this position and you're, you know, you're looking this way. And I mean, it just, it implies a kind of ideal that you're trying to work towards, I think. But this idea of re-entering or like, oh, let's explore these patterns or go back into these patterns is like, oh, what are you exploring? What are you finding? What are you discovering while you go through these structures? Right, right. So then if the person... The human being is the most important part of the equation versus the act, the movement material. Right. You know, if we're looking at, you know, foreground, background, or, you know, I mean, they're both important, but the sense of, right, it's not the body as, you know, executing the material. I mean, it could still be a very abstract sort of pure energy moment, but the sense of the person's, right, as you said, agency and choices or, or you know, almost allowing to see their thoughts. And they're shifting states through the, you know, the, the vehicle of the pattern yeah. actually to show the, the person and their spark and what they're working through versus like, oh, isn't that an interesting pattern? <laughs> <laughs> right. Which is there too. But right. so it's so interesting because our, our materials are the physical energies we create and the, the body in space is what we see you know, with the naked eye, right. although the energy all around it is also there. We feel it. So yeah, it's interesting how that it's so blurred and such a ambiguous, complex, <laughs> mysterious way. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. a real rich part of our field, the yeah. medium we work with. Yeah. Well, I think it also goes back to probably approach that we both are more interested in, in that, you know, I've always had an aversion to the analogy that, you know, dancers are to the choreographer as paint is to the painter, Mm -hmm. right? Like that has always struck me as, as not right. Um, Because the dancers are human, not just an abstract material that you're you're molding and um though i think some choreographers may be fine with that analogy mm-hmm. um but i think it, it, it again goes back to this idea starting like as we talk with waterborne of wanting to see the the performers the dancers um and their uniqueness be visible and um, as part of it. And I also think this speaks a lot to your ongoing interest, um, in collaboration and, mm-hmm. and, you know, talking about work with Nick and, and all these other people that you've worked with, including me. Um, and each of them kind of brings new information into your own artistic practice and you have to negotiate that. Um, so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. It's not, I think it contains a lot of your work in terms of improvisation, but that your interest in collaborating and how that mm. informs your practice as well. Sure. Yeah. That's collaborating. I don't know. It's always just been a very natural desire I've had. Very organic. I mean, it, when I was young, I used to love collaborating with my brother, my younger brother, Hmm. on drawings. So, I mean, we would definitely do our own drawing and coloring, but we actually, I don't know how we started this, but really enjoyed taking one piece of paper and both starting to 
add colors and lines to it and see what would emerge from it over time. Um, and then I remember that extended to, I had a friend in elementary school, Lynn, who we just enjoyed writing stories together. Hmm. And again, I'm not sure how that started, but we just, maybe it started by just talking and then eventually we would write them down where one person would, yeah, start with a character and then someone else would decide where we were and what we were doing. And so that, I don't know, I always enjoyed this being in relationship with people. And then the creation kind of was an outgrowth of that connection. So I feel like I've probably just kept that going. Yeah. Some things just don't change very much. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's true. Like, from when you're six years old, I suppose. <laughs> So, yeah, I feel like that's really the core of what I do. I enjoy relationships with people. Mm -hmm. So if I'm interested in someone and I want to be around them more, I'll say, hey, do you want to do a project? <laughs> <laughs> so then we get to spend time together. <laughs> and then through that connection, that, you know, and the conversations and spending time and watching people move and what are they reading and what are their questions about the world. And then, then eventually – oh, we have a project to do. So then eventually that all sort of ends up, I think, in the stew of the project. Yeah. Um, yes, I feel like that. And so then the improvisation aspect in that scenario, I feel, just helps with being really open and responsive. You know, the skills we learn of listening, paying attention, uh, being flexible, so if new ideas are coming, you know, you can just, oh, okay, sure, let's try that. You know, saying yes. Right. Um, really supporting the other person and then or and or then taking a spark and running off somewhere else and trusting the other person will support you. So that, I think, mm -hmm. works well with collaboration because you're, you're open to all this other input and yet you're both agreeing to help cultivate a space together. So you have that foundation, but then you also can be very responsive and allow that to just keep playing off. And then, yeah, and then seeing what happens from that, then offering that stew <laughs> to other people. Mm -hmm. And knowing, too, like, depending on the context of how you're sharing it, again, the it might shift and change, the form of the work and the mm -hmm. relationship. So, yeah, I think it just came out of really being fascinated by other people and how how other people view the world and are in the world yeah i mean it it, it just seems we we just keep kind of coming back to that idea um of relationships of wanting to incorporate everyone's voice into the process um whether you are like directing a project um, or that you you encourage or or initiate or uh, participate in collaborative projects where there's a group of people working together to create something. Mm -hmm. So there's um, that um, that seems like a core um, that that you kind of keep coming back to of that as being somewhat central to, to your working process. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, and you know, that coming back to our long time, yeah. 25 
something. Yeah. Year plus collaboration. <laughs> uh, that right. I feel like a big strength of ours. We did have that sort of natural outgrowth between knowing each other as friends and coworkers, and then yeah, fellow performers, then co-directors and collaborators. And we also had, you know, different preferences and strengths we, you know, we bring to the table. But then we've learned. I think we've then almost traded. You know, uh-huh. we've been like, here, why don't you try this? <laughs> Take on this quality. Oh, why don't you try this way of, of thinking? Right. And I feel like that's been a real rich part of our partnership is, you know, we have certain maybe tendencies. Yeah. You know, I feel like just to generalize it, you can, I feel like your sense of big ideas and, you know, big containers yep. and my kind of like, and I'll look at this small <laughs> piece of minutia on the ground for a while <laughs> that then, you know, where, what, when, what's in between those two. And then eventually, you know, having a chance to try on different roles, but then the support and appreciation we've each had for the other's way of being really. Yeah. Uh, I think that's been a real strength. And then as we've all, we've both, grown and changed a lot over the years just to keep being able to meet again that's i mean that's pretty amazing yeah no i yeah right on i mean i i think that's right i mean i feel incredibly lucky to have um this ongoing relationship with you both of course as friends but also as collaborators and fellow fellow artists and i think i think you're right i i it's like we also remind each other to pay attention to certain things or have in the past. Mm-hmm. Like, like big idea, but uh, Dan, you know, we got to pay attention to this little thing here because otherwise the big <laughs> idea gets lost um, or, you know, vice versa, that mm-hmm. back and forth. And I think, again, that's going back to just this idea of like, um, as you were mentioning, being flexible in the moment and saying yes um, saying like, Oh, I've got this idea and yes to the, to your idea. And let's see how they can kind of intermingle with one another, mm-hmm. you know? And, and also the other, actually, as you were talking, the other thing I thought of is, um, and I hadn't thought of this in relationship to this conversation, but, um, certainly this idea of trust and in collaboration and in improvisation, this idea of trusting your fellow artists, your fellow players, your fellow collaborators um, is essential to the process. I remember working on a project a couple years ago, not with you, but with some other artists. And, and you know, they would make suggestions that maybe weren't my first choice suggestions. And sometimes we would have to talk it out. And other times I realized that I just needed to trust their perspective and Mm. and just go with that just be like all right that's the way you see it let's do that because because i trust you as an artist Mm -hmm. and um and i think that's also true Uh, i'm thinking about improvisational moments when i'm with people who i fully trust and and the other times when there's people maybe who i don't know and they make choices and i'm like what is going on here um so that's a interesting part of it as well. Is like how do you develop the trust with your fellow players or artists in those moments of both collaboration and improvisation? Mm. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, and I, my two thoughts about that right now are the sense of, well, that's a, <laughs> a good life skill for some people to cultivate more, especially lately. And um, the idea of trust, trusting especially people we don't know or recognize. And, um, and the sense of what the importance of trusting yourself as a baseline or, mm-hmm. you know, so, I mean, if you trust yourself and your abilities to respond and, you know, and there's a lot mixed in that, right. Sense of boundaries and agency and, you know, being able to take care of yourself, mm-hmm. then how that, I wonder, you know, the relationship between that and then how well you can then take care of being open and responsive to other people, yeah. right. Because you trust that you can, you'll be okay. You know, you can respond or you can question or you can, yeah, you can follow this unknown path that somebody invites you to try uh, because you do trust yourself also, right? You can right. trust your own senses, your own uh, abilities, your own grounding and, you know, that whatever's happening around you that you'll, you know, you'll be okay. You'll figure out how to navigate it, which that's where, you know, somatic practices are think works so well with improvisational practice because in somatics at least what I've been really finding so valuable is that sense of personal research and Mm in-depth internal paying attention investigation you know valuing that first person perspective and experience validating it um has made a big difference to then for what I know about myself. And then as I interact with other people and in environments and new situations that I have that much more understanding of myself, including the mysterious parts <sighs> and then, but still trusting that, right. Mm-hmm. Trusting what I don't know about myself, but still being okay. And then, so as other things are coming around that I can say, okay, let's see. Versus, oh, oh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure. That's not, you know, I'm, I don't know if I'll be comfortable. I don't know if, you know, that'll work for me. I don't know if that's safe. I mean, again, we can't, you know, guarantee. There's no guarantees. Sure. Right? In life. But how do we kind of float within, within the unknowns? And isn't that just a, I don't know, kind of a big life world universe <laughs> metaphor right now yeah no right? doubt it's a lot of a lot of unknown swirling a lot of people are grappling it feels like yeah yeah I'm, I'm glad you brought up somatic practices and that was something that was like on my list here to touch on at least and just that that inner kind of that inner awareness that inner sourcing um and how that inner comes to some kind of outer relationship or outer expression. And um, for me as well, somatic that somatic practice of kind of inner outer um, is really important, uh, both artistically and just as a person in the world. Um, and, you know, that's another place. It's interesting because that's another place where I feel like our practices meet, though we've explored somatics in different forms of somatics, some same, but some different. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that 
desire for that for that going inward um, has been around for quite a while, and I think really influences both um, our individual work and then how we work together. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we are kind of coming up to the end here, and um, I do want to just one last kind of question. I guess I'm wondering if you could just spend a couple minutes to talk about your newest work and the work that's coming up um, in the fall um, and kind of, I don't know, situating, situating it within this conversation or just kind of talk a little bit about the impetus and, and how it's unfolding for you. Absolutely not. No, <laughs> um, where's my press agent? No, yeah, right. Um, right. So... Dreaming Under a Cedar Tree is my current project, and it's really a companion work to uh, a project I did. I started just before 9-11, and it continued through 2006, and that was sort of my first in-depth artistic uh, and personal look at my uh, Lebanese heritage, my father's family. And then after the election in the fall, the presidential election, the um, that piece off-white was in the air a little bit. A couple mm-hmm. people were asking me about it and even suggesting maybe I might be interested in bringing that piece back to look at just with the sort of renewed concerns about Arabs and Arab Americans and the Middle East. Yeah. I mean, it's cyclical. It's been going on for a long time. The United States has a very complex relationship to the Middle East. And so I thought about Off-White, and I, it, again, talking about sort of what moments carry forward, I felt like, well, you know, that was a, of a certain period of time, and I feel like I have some new questions now, and maybe it would be interesting in creating a, you know, a new container with references to the original project. So... I got a grant from the Southeastern uh, Minnesota Arts Council, and I'm creating a kind of a hybrid solo dance performance uh, within a visual art installation I'm creating in a gallery, mm-hmm. community space here in Winona, Minnesota, a wonderful space called Outpost, uh, run by Matthew Fluharty, who directs uh, just an incredible organization called Art of the Rural. And Outpost is their uh, main space here in Monona. And along with the performance and the installation, there's also going to be food sharing as the last part of the performance. Mm -hmm. I'm having some Middle Eastern food that then we'll enjoy together. And then that will segue into an informal discussion, just a chance for people to, to talk either about what they saw or any questions or just whatever is sort of on their minds. Uh, and that'll be running September 9th through October 7th. The installation will be up that entire time in the gallery. And then there'll be four performances, Saturdays, um, September 9th, 16th, 23, and then October 6th. And it's all free. Because of the grant support, uh, we felt it was it would be a great opportunity to make all of this free and accessible to anyone. And so, yes, yeah, so I'm kind of back interviewing my family. I've had a lot of input from many cousins. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
family, old family photographs uh, from the 40s and 50s are involved. Some oil paintings my father did of various mm. landscapes in Lebanon. Oh. I have some beautiful cedar wood sculpture pieces, um, various other personal objects. A lot of scents from Lebanon, uh, jasmine flowers, mint, um, cedar. There'll be some cedar chips I'll have in the gallery. Um, and yeah, I'm just sort of bringing, it sort of like feels like a kaleidoscope or like a series of little poems that I'll be kind of bringing together, little vignettes mm. and little, you know, kind of pockets of images for people to experience and just take in. And um, yeah, just some of my recent thoughts about being Arab American during this time and how it connects to my father and his father. And I even have a photo that surfaced of my great grandfather that I had never seen before that just sort of came up recently nice so that sense of yeah history lineage uh place and dreaming about places there's a lot of you know people who well you did pieces about home and place like the sense of when you leave a place how do you hold it in your memory and heart Mm -hmm. if you've never been to a place like I have yet to get to Lebanon I'm hopefully going through an invitation to a dance festival in April but um, so my sense of Lebanon, only in my imagination, um, my father's expression of Lebanon through his paintings, uh, what my grandparents felt after they came here, um, and the market, the Lebanese or Middle Eastern market my grandfather ran in Lowell, Mass, kind of tastes and you know, smells of Lebanon mm. that he offered to the Lebanese and Syrian community that was uh, there in Lowell. Um, and then, yeah, just giving people a chance to learn maybe a little bit more about, you know, one perspective on what it feels like to be Arab American during this time Time, and place. Just one, you know, one, one story, one point of view. Um, so that's what I feel like I can offer. I felt like it just was something I could offer as an artist citizen, of the world during this during this time period this felt for me helpful to work and think through and also uh, you know for my local community here in Winona and then and I've been connecting to different people in different parts of the country and then even to some Arab American artists and there's even a wonderful Lebanese photographer I've connected with and he, I'll include actually a few of his photographs. He went around to 47 towns in the U.S. that mm-hmm. are named Lebanon. Oh. He just got really curious about why are so many towns in the U.S. named Lebanon? What is that about? And he just used that as a vehicle to create a project to learn more about the United States. His name is Fadi Bukaram, and Lebanon, USA is his incredible photographic project. And uh, he has a blog about it. And hmm. So, yeah, so it's really connecting me to this larger network now of family as well as, well, my, my own, the family I was born into as well as a family of artists. Right. That a lot of us are, you know, we choose and curate over time, which is also equally family. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Well, so. Sharon, that sounds great. And what, um, what I'll do is um, in the show notes, 
of the podcast, I'll make sure to include links to not only your website, but I'll get like links from you about how people can find out how to see how, mm-hmm. to, how to see the exhibit and your performances. Because um, that just so- sounds absolutely wonderful and, and complex and layered and all those mm-hmm. things. And maybe you can come. Maybe I, yes, I got to get a, figure out my calendar now and figure out how to get out there. No doubt. Um, well, thank you again so much for speaking with me today. Oh, always love talking with you. Yeah, always great. And there's so, I, have, I have these notes that I'm looking at, the things I'm supposed to talk to you about or bring up today, and I only got to about half of them. So, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, um, maybe in the future we'll do another round of this. Sounds great. Okay, cool. Well, thank you, and have a nice day. All right. Thanks, Daniel. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sharon Mansour. Uh, again, please check out the show notes for information about how to find Sharon out in the world and on the web. In the next episode of Act React, I'll be talking with the artistic director of Washington Improv Theater, Mark Chalfant. Mark is an incredibly insightful person with observations about improvisation which easily span genres and, and many applications. I'm, I'm sure you'll enjoy his perspective on improvisation, so please check it out. And again, thanks for listening, and until next time.